Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1255 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. Thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast, making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is sort of a two-part episode. Once again, it's sort of been a favorite of mine in recent days, but a long conversation that I had with Jake Rosen, NBA draft expert, host of, I should say co-host of the Tag the Roll podcast, writer at Cerebro Sports. Jake is very smart about the NBA draft. We did about an hour and a half or so of content. Uh, part one is what you're watching or listening to right now, and then part two will follow right after this. It's actually available as we speak, as you're watching or listening to this, so please check it out. Do not forget to do that at the end of the podcast. But Jake and I go through the top of the draft, all of the Hawks targets in the draft, potentially in that number 16 range. Some guys in the uh, late lottery that could be interested in sort of trade-up targets, some deep sleepers, his favorite players in the draft, et cetera, et cetera. It's sort of a fun conversation that hits a lot of different points. So please, please, please check it out. And do not, do not forget to check out part two as well. As far as the news is concerned, not a whole lot going on for the Hawks. Some faint rumblings, no full-fledged rumors just yet. And the NBA draft, as I record this, and as you're listening to it on Thursday, is exactly two weeks away. So we'll be ramping up a lot in the near future. Plenty of content to come. But the Hawks are certainly an active team on the trade front. We'll get into all of that in the future with mailback additions, myself weighing in with all kinds of thoughts, more draft coverage, more player reviews with with Glenn Willis as well coming up in the near future. So uh, wall-to-wall coverage, please subscribe to the show. And after you hear from the intro, I'll be back with myself and Jake Rosen on the NBA Draft. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I am joined today by, I guess, friend of the podcast now, Jake Rosen, uh, NBA draft connoisseur. Uh, I will let you plug yourself, so I don't do, I do the full intro, but Jake, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Um, it feels, I guess, plugging myself to start, but um, yeah, I'm Jake. I'm on Twitter, at Jake in the Paint. Um, I'm doing a lot of draft content for Cerebro Sports right now. That's where all the written stuff will be. Um, I just wrote about Tarisen and Jeremy Sohan. Hopefully, uh, by the time this is up, I would have written about Jaden Ivey already. That's my favorite thing to do. I put some added pressure on myself to get out some deadlines. There you go. But um, and then uh, friend of the program as well, Mark Schindler, uh, who has been on this podcast. Uh, we host a weekly draft podcast, and I've been doing so throughout the entire cycle. So, if you're looking uh, for some draft, do that every week. If you're looking to catch up on the cycle, uh, you can go back through our feed. Seems like we've talked about everyone and everyone right now, or at this point. But um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Pod at tag the roll, and all the written stuff is at Cerebro Sports, which uh, it's pri- it's prime time now. It's kind of what I've been telling everyone. It's uh, yeah, everyone's looking for draft content. It, it's it sucks because I'm kind of on the way down. Um, it's like oh, I'm enough of these guys. But um, everyone wants to talk about them, so we're here to talk about it. Yeah, I feel like that's the case for people that do this as their primary thing, which is it's not my primary thing. I do a lot more than most people do, but I'm obviously not quite on on the level of full time NBA draft person. So I'm kind of in the sweet spot. But uh, I talk to a lot of people that do what you do and focus a lot on the draft. And uh, by now, everybody's kind of done. But it, I get it. You got to yeah. push to the finish line. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, this is an interesting cycle. I actually want to start there. Um, you know, We've covered, especially two years ago, was the endless cycle was uh, was, was like oh the, full, the full year long <laughs> yeah. cycle. It feels yeah. like this is kind of a short one this time around because we're back to normal in a lot of ways. But um, before we dive into like some players, obviously, uh, what's your sort of feel on the class overall, and even like you know just draft philosophy? Why I like to ask that question to everybody that I have on the on the show about the draft. Like, what do you sort of 
prioritize um, when we're looking at prospects and like, what do you make of this class overall? Yeah, I, I think I'm getting a little, I think this class, especially um, just the year 2022, like it's my third time um, doing this. Like I would say it's what I've been telling people is like 2020 was, uh, I did some draft work in 2019, but I mean, I wasn't really watching that many games in depth. It was much harder when I was in high school playing and doing yeah. schoolwork. <laughs> um, so then kind of when I stopped playing, when COVID hit, I had no, like I had all the time in the world. Um, so I just picked this up and started just a routine of watching a lot of film. And, you know, when I was in college, I, I was so used to going to practice and having game days and just having all that time filled up. So I started taking it super seriously in 2020, the endless cycle. Um, and then partly in 2021, and I think the draft stuff is super interesting because I like doing your draft. It's so you're doing your first draft. It's so innocent and so funny. You're just like, oh, these evaluations are bulletproof. I can't miss. I won't miss. And you miss a lot. Um, it happens. And and I think that second cycle for me was a lot of overcorrection, not necessarily from specific players, but prospects and um getting super uh, caught up in trying to evaluate the NBA for, through like a magnifying glass and pick out which trends were happening and applying that to draft scouting and just getting super caught up in minuscule um, minor details, I would say missing the forest for the trees a little bit, which is like now my biggest fear not to do. Um, And then kind of the long winded response to landing me to 2022 is just like, it sounds so silly and stupid, but get the good players, man. Like do real <laughs> scouting, Um, get the guys you think can pr like produce at an NBA level and, you know, weigh projections all equally. Like that's another thing. Um, guys are gonna. There, are, there are indicators like have certain guys having more touch. You can be a little bit lenient with shooting indicators for you know, certain prospects. Lamelo Ball was one of those. Tyrese Maxey was one of those. Um, just big time floater guys who I think you can be a little bit more lenient to shoot, project them to shoot. But for the most part, like if ball handling is a difficult development, then apply that across the board. And if everyone needs to improve their handle, like. It should be an equally as difficult hurdle for everyone. Obviously, they start at different starting points, but um, the general theme stays the same. So for me, um, and again, looking for guys that can play multiple roles alongside, especially on offense, space the floor and attack closeouts. Um, that's kind of the big thing. I think that's what the uh, NBA game ultimately comes down to. Uh, like, of course, you have your stars, but of course, we're talking to Hawks people too, who know that yeah. all too well. You have Trey Young, um, one of the best advantage creators and collapsers of defense in the entire world. And he's going to spray that out to kick, kick uh, to complimentary shooters, complimentary creators. So getting those guys who can um, attack closeouts, run second side actions, continue to apply pressure on the defense with redrives. Um, and again, every time I've said this, people are like, well, Dallas, well, Dallas, well, Dallas. Um, <laughs> yeah, Dallas is interesting and tough. Not particularly one I'd base my like draft or team building philosophy off of. I think they're more of a one-off because they have a potential goat trajectory player and it just works like that um and i think it, it works to an extent but i think um which i'm really excited about because the hawks are a super fascinating team for me especially in this draft because i do think there are players um that can get maybe at 16 maybe we're trading up a four or five spots to get into that next tier of players i'd call it the mid lottery but guys who can play complementary roles and um really continue to pressure the defense with redrives while also spacing the floor um i think that's kind of what i'm going for the most and it says it's a lot easier said than done and it's kind of like you're describing utopian prospect like why wouldn't you want that of course but um i think it's easy to get you know caught up with the creation chops and, and um or on the other side like elite slashers who aren't necessarily going to space the floor and I think 
yeah, floor spacing is very important, but then also the ability to do stuff when you run off the line is also important. So I think balancing those two things has been my goal throughout the cycle. Today's show is brought to you by Sakara and feeling your best starts with what you eat. Sakara helps you live a healthy and balanced lifestyle. Truly enjoy with delicious plant-rich transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living your best body. And Sakara is a wellness company that's anchored in food as medicine. And they're on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. Sakara gives you the tools that you need to transform your life with an organic, ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials. And they have nutritionally designed chef-crafted breakfasts, lunch, and dinners. And they're made with powerful plant-rich ingredients to help you boost your energy. They have digestion support, curb your sugar cravings, and they get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door in a ready-to-eat package. Sakara's functional plant-rich wellness help you create a body that you absolutely love to live in. And they best they have the best-selling metabolism superpowers. It's the foundation. They're daily supplement packs. And Sakara's products are designed to help you support your wellness goals anytime, anywhere. And right now, they have 20% off on your first order with for just for our listeners when you go to sakara.com slash locked on 20 or enter the promo code locked on 20 at checkout. That's Sakara, which is spelled S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash locked on 20. 20% off in your first order with Sakara. One more time, that's Sakara.com slash locked on 20. Yeah, and it's interesting, um, the Hawks in particular, because you know, there is the team building freedom in a lot of ways that having your star gives you to have having Trey gives you. And then I think we we've seen you wouldn't be as plugged in as the Hawks uh, as as I would be obviously, but like no. in the last six months in particular, there's like now there's the realization where he can't do it all by himself. Like you still have to have guys who can be your number two, number three creators. And the Hawks have guys that can do a little bit, but it's in terms of like you keep talking about attacking closeouts, that, that's, that's definitely a huge thing. And even just having someone that can run a pick and roll and like get into yeah. the paint that's not your best player is extremely important. And that's one of the things the Hawks are looking for. I mean, they have to get in this draft necessarily, but they are definitely now, I think, being more open about secondary creation as a priority as a priority thing, where in the past there's been this, I'm sure you've heard it too, like you have Trey, so just to surround him with, with a bunch of three and D guys. And it's like, well, well that, yeah, that, this is, that, that does that's work. That's Dallas thing, yeah. Yeah, and that, that does work on some level, but, you know, you get into situations like, the, like they had against Miami in the playoffs, even where like that's not enough. You need somebody else that can do something uh, against the switching scheme in particular, and obviously Miami's defense is another animal. They're they're ridiculous, of course. But yeah. at the highest level, you're going to have defenses like that. Like you're playing Boston or Miami or whatever. So, yeah, I think it's a good. That's a good uh, sort of intro into what we're going to talk about. And I mean, you mentioned the tier breaks and stuff. I guess we can start there. Um, I feel like uh, the consensus. And it's not everybody, but overall, there's this thought of like it's kind of a top four or top three or something like that. And uh, Ivy's kind of a swing guy, but I think most people now are like kind of in a. Uh, he, there's a top four, and you can sort of order them in different ways. Uh, is that where your tier break is at the top? Like, do you have tiers in between that? I know this is sort of a typical yeah. question, but um, yeah, I, no, yeah, we'll go ahead to the top. Um, well, one thing I did, one last thing I didn't want to say, like, oh, yeah, team because I gave like I gave a long winded response. I kind of laid out all my all my like philosophy yeah. bits in one. But I mean, a lot of it, the, the Hawks, not this past year's Hawks, but the Hawks have made the East <laughs> Conference Finals were one of my favorite teams to watch. I, I think, you know, I am a Knicks fan, so obviously I watched that series and took it a little personally. But I remember just as a Knicks fan, like just thinking and tweeting like you had to tip your cap, like just from a team building standpoint. Um, I, I think that Hawks team was really damn good. And. A lot of the reason why they were so good was because you had that secondary creation um, from Bogdan, from Herter, and you know obviously the free agents that they signed in the offseason are getting a little bit older, um, young guys getting injured. Like I, I think they had some bumps in the road. Like I'm not so I'm not hitting the panic button right now if I'm the Hawks, but I do think it's like very easy to see like idealized version because it happened and they were one of the last four teams playing. So like we can argue about whether that team makeup was 
a fluke run or good enough to make it to the finals, but only four teams make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals. Like that's nothing to scoff at. Um, so I do think like this is a really fun and interesting conversation through like the Hawks lens because I've been talking about this. I last night I was on the Knicks podcast and kind of laying this wow. out, and it seems really far fetched because they have not put like they don't even have the first advantage creator. Not only did the Hawks have the first advantage creator, it you have to, you only have to go back two years to see this pitched version of what offense looks like um come to come to the surface like obviously trey's gonna be your guy i'm not saying take the ball out of his hands but as you said yeah. getting someone who can initiate second side actions give the defense a different look and then when trey does get in the paint uh, punishing kickouts both from spot ups and redrafts um i think that's you know what you're seeing the most from an offensive perspective but yeah getting into the topic of the draft i personally um i have paulo number one I have Chet number two and I have Ivy number three. Now, I have, I do have Jabari number four, but um, it's like a tier, like a half a tier in between Chet and Jabari. Like, I don't, I'm really ridiculously high on the top two. Like, I think both of them are re- incredibly unique, incredibly skilled in different, totally different ways. Um, I'm also really high on Ivy. Now, I don't think I'd classify him like, no matter what team I have, I'm taking. Chet or Paulo one, Chet two. Like that's just it's that's where I'm going. Um, and then I'm taking Ivy three. If no matter who I like, even the Rockets. Like we're seeing, oh, they already have Jalen Green. Like no, go get the go get him. Um, so that's I I definitely have a there's a big gap between Ivy and Jabari to me. Um, I th- I think Jabari's still the fourth guy. Uh, he's a ridiculous shot maker. Your contests don't matter. Um, shooting like versatile, good like good pull up shooter off one or two dribbles. Um lateral quickness, all that stuff. But I don't necessarily see the high-end upside just because the ball handling, um, he, does, he doesn't generate advantage. He's not bending the defense. Really good at beating the defense, but not necessarily bending them. Um, and in my superstars, my offensive hubs, like you're, you're going to want to draw that attention that way um, and be able to penetrate and get to the rim. Now, it's not to say that he won't make those strides, but when I'm talking about ball handling developments, like if, if he's going to make ball handling developments, let's apply that same lens to – Johnny Davis or Tyson Daniels, um, just other guys that struggle. I think obviously Jabari would be optimized ceiling wise the most out of that group, but developments are developments. So if the, I do share that same top four. I have Ivy third, and I think he should get a lot more attention than he currently does. It kind of feels like he's the afterthought of the four, and I've even seen him getting mocked to fifth at times, which I think is crazy. Um, so yeah, the, the top two of Paulo and Chet, uh, it's been like that all year for me. Um, and I haven't really wavered. Played in Toy with Chet at one for a little bit, but um, the the leaps that Paula made throughout the year, uh, especially from January on, is he was just an incredible player. Yeah, I find it really interesting. Like, depending on who you talk to, who you're looking at, like where the tier break seems to be. Like, I don't want to use this as a great example, but if you watch the lottery drawing on ESPN, it was like it was a two player draft, and it was Jabari and Chet, and then there was like mm-hmm. they barely even talked about Paolo, and then Ivy, same thing, and then uh, certain people have Ivy in the you know five six range. Um, also, like a lot of people, maybe a lot of people, people that I trust, like have Jabari lower, and he seems to be the favorite to go number one. Even I know he's the betting favorite right now to go number one. Yeah. Uh, so it's just interesting to see like where those lines are drawn, and I'm generally. Uh, I, those are my top four too. I am. I find myself being a little bit lower on Ivy than a lot of people, but at the same time, he's clearly better than guys five below. So like, I still have him up there. Like I can't imagine him falling below four. That just seems even as someone who's not as high as on him. I, I think as people, it's not. It just I can't see that possibly happen. At least it shouldn't happen. I'm not. Maybe maybe it will, but it shouldn't happen. <laughs> 
Um, so no, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I think the headliner there is uh, that you have Paolo one, because again, like it doesn't seem like that's like, like a very common thing. I, I did have Ricky O'Donnell on recently. Who's a big Paolo guy as well. So maybe that's a, that's a theme on this podcast the last couple of weeks, but <laughs> what, what makes you have Paolo there? Cause I think that's maybe not like, it's not super off the board, but not exactly the most common thing these days. Yeah. Um, legit. I mean, you have to start with the frame because he's 6'10", 250, and like it all starts there. Um, he's <laughs> absolutely, yeah, he's absolutely ginormous. Um, legit, like power forward sized, maybe even small ball five size. I don't trust the defense to play him as a small ball five, but like that's a potential um, outcome that if the defense doesn't improve and we like turn the clocks back to him being a high school sophomore uh, and he gets back to that playing defense like that, that maybe we can even experiment with some small ball five stuff. But um, I picture him as a four, but what I love about him is it's a self-creation bet, but he's also super scalable and can play alongside a lot of guys. Um, I think the big holdup, my big holdup, honestly, was um, in the beginning of the year, especially in the first couple of months when he was catching, just catch and hold and jab and jab and then go on really long and drawn out process. And it was clear that this was someone who one missed a lot of basketball, um, just COVID years. He didn't play COVID. He didn't play a lot um, compared to someone like Jabari. Um, Jabari was in the South. Uh, we don't. We, we need to talk about South. Um, I, 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 that's that's where I live right now, and this is where uh, yeah. most talks fans so, are. So I, I think I get Jabari, it. Jabari. Sure. So and and good for PD Web uh, wrote about this in about like I think January or something. Um, where Jabari and, and look, like developmental time, like the COVID years or COVID year and a half, we'll call it for basketball prospects. It impacted everyone differently just based on what region you're in. Jabari was playing AAU in May of 2020. Apollo yep. was not. And uh, that matters and just in terms of getting 20 games under your belt in a certain summer. Paulo was still, um, listen, I'm not saying he was like, cut off and locked out of gyms, but sure. um, open runs are not the same. So it was very clear with Paulo. And St. Paulo's senior year is really interesting because he leaves his private school at Seattle and goes to his prep school, BFL prep. And they're basically playing in this uh, high school circuit that is, we'll, we'll call it informal. Um, that was my takeaway. And he's just coming up and down the court, gunning pull-up threes. I'm like, whoa, like, I've never <laughs> seen this before. So I, I think the early in the season, it was about – because, like, if he played the way he played at BFL Prep at Duke, he would have gotten yanked. It just wasn't, like, sustainable. But then finding the balance between that uh, fundamental four that you saw in the first couple of years of his high school career and in AAU and was always super productive and consistent, and then mixing in the experimenting uh, that he did his senior year. Um, once he was able to play so and then as he got super comfortable with that uh, you saw someone who was like towards the end of the year ripping attacking closeouts taking catch and shoot threes punishing defenders making reads on the move on the fly like you can and i just what i love about paulo is how many ways you could use him like you can isolate him in the low block you can isolate him on the mid post you can pick and pop him into space because he can shoot and attack closeouts you can hit him on the short roll like He's more than capable of taking a couple dribbles, making a decision. If you double him in the post, he's going to kill you. with a, He's going to make the right read with a kickout or a drop-off. Like, I, I just think the offensive upside is so – just it's through the roof, in my opinion, just based on his size and skill combination and uh, the strides that he's made, both as like a handler, a self-creator, a pull-up shooter, making the right reads. I mean, at the end of the year, it just like – seemed like there was nothing you could do with him um, from about the middle of January, early February on. Um, just an absolute complete offensive superstar. And uh, for me, that's what I'm gunning for at the top. 
Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online have to be the number one source for all of the stuff that you need in the sports betting space. That includes the needs and the info, the odds, the news, and the developments across the sports world. That, of course, also has this year's NBA playoffs at the center of it right now. The finals ongoing as we speak. They have Major League Baseball scores and information. They have all the odds and stuff that you need for fights and hockey ongoing right now with Santa Claus playoffs in full extent. And also, next season's NFL, college football, and college basketball futures are on the board right now. Future bets are a lot of fun to evaluate the market, see what's going on there, and they're still available right now at Bet Online. They have all the wagering information that you want. They have clues, that includes live betting. They have esports and much more. But Online has you covered for golf and tennis, auto racing, horse racing, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and much more. In addition to uh, poker, casino games, and the works at Bet Online. Head there right now to Bet Online on your computer or mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action in the betting space. Bet Online, where the game starts. You know, I, I think. Chet is, as I said, incredibly unique, um, has the chance to be one of the game's most like game-breaking defenders uh, with his length, timing, versatility, able to play the four, the five, switch onto the perimeter, uh, is incredibly technically sound as a rim protector, incredible verticality, even though he gives up some space. Uh, we know he's skinny, but <laughs> it doesn't seem to matter. Um, he always finds his way back home, which is contesting with two hands and, and getting vertical. Um with that being said, like I do have a little bit of worries about Chet off- Chet's offense. Like I wrote about it, and I wrote about the ways that you could utilize him because it always seems to be, oh, he's skinny, he'll need to put on weight. There are a ton of ways you could utilize him. Um, he's a very capable three point shooter. Uh, we have it like on the Gonzaga, including Gonzaga and pre draft. I think he's shooting like forty percent on over two hundred three point attempts. Um, I think someone put that together on Twitter, which is super consistent and super bankable. Like he's going to shoot it. I'm pretty confident in it. Uh, I just think the creation stuff, especially attacking closeouts, is going to take a little bit because he's prone to getting bumped off his spots now. But as a finisher around the rim, uh, in the paint, like he, I think that's probably the most underrated part of his game. Everyone just says like he expects expects him to finish everything because he's seven feet tall. A lot of guys are seven feet tall. I do not <laughs> see them converting at the rate that he is, uh, both at the rim and around it. Um, just incredible length, incredible touch, very crafty. So, yeah, I, those are my two guys at the top. But ultimately, Paulo's offensive upside, it is that takes a cake for me. I heard somebody uh, that I th- think is smart compare situation at Paolo's prep school to like LaMelo in high school, like that kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. evaluation, just because it's like, not that it was impossible to evaluate. You, you obviously see the talent, but it was like, none of this is translatable. He's never going to do this. And it's kind of the way that like LaMelo just kind of did whatever, whatever he wanted to at times in high school. It was kind of funny. Not, not, not a perfect comp. I thought it was pretty funny. But I, when you, I reminded me when you, when you said that. No, I mean, um, it's, well, what it's like, it's funny and it's true. I mean, I remember like scouting LaMelo's uh, high school tape. That was like the first real YouTube high school scouting I did. Seriously, like I've always grown up watching high school in AAU. And I loved LaMelo early. Like I was a Chino, Chino Hill stan. Like uh, you, I, that team when they were like Lonzo, <laughs> I was obsessed with them. Like I think probably that was in, when I was in like eighth grade or something uh, in middle school. But LaMelo, when LaMelo was coming up, I remember like, there were so many times when you're watching those Spire games where he just like didn't cross half court to get back no. on deep. Like they would pan the camera and he would was not nuts. be in the camera yeah. shot. I'm just like, this is insane. But looking back on it, like obviously the offensive creativity that it granted him and the process and the things he was able to toy around with. Like, I, I don't think you, as I, as you said, you can't play that way in the next level. It's not entirely translatable, but it is LaMelo. LaMelo is a little bit different because he's been experimental like that yeah. um, his entire life. But I do think for Polo, um, 
it, it was an important sample and important. I, I'd be curious to see what he says about it because that's the first time I'd ever seen him with that type of leash. And uh, a lot of the stuff that he was experimenting with BFL then you see today, like I watched the game today and he's doing hand roll pull-ups in the mid range, which we didn't see at O'Day at all. Um, so I'd be curious actually what to hear what his take was on that and how it factored into his ultimate development. Obviously not, um, you can't pick it up and place it anywhere like the entire game but bits and pieces. Uh, I do think it's interesting. Yeah, I feel like it would almost have to be not maybe not for every prospect, but I feel like a lot of guys might benefit. It's kind of hard to just like project that, but like a lot of guys might benefit from something like that for maybe if it's just just for six months, like, OK, yeah. we're going to put you here and just like make you do stuff that you're not usually going to do and like be a creator. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, how, I wonder how much that would unlock for different players. But, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm actually I'm. I, I, I personally, I think I'm going to go with Chet one. I don't have a firm board right now. I probably should, but uh, I think that if I don't, it will be Paolo that I have there, not not Jabari or Jaden. I'm, I'm kind of on on your line with the uh, with the ultimate ceiling. I mean, obviously, we can get into Jabari quickly too. We didn't want to talk about him a whole lot, but he's really interesting to me in that. Um, obviously, he's a local he's a local kid from Atlanta, so yeah. I've seen him a few times, even more than everybody else. But uh, there's like some really aggressive comps out there now. Like you start getting like the Kevin Durant stuff thrown around. It's like, okay. Uh, but he doesn't really get to us. I mean, he can, he can get to his pull up whenever he wants to being as tall as he is. And the, and the shot is obviously legitimate, but like, do you think, he, I, know, I know you sort of mentioned it. Do you think he can like ever, not ever, can he put pressure on the rim? Can he like, is his handle going to be good enough at any point to be a, to be a primary? Because that's the thing. I think no one really worries about him being a secondary guy. Like he's, Mm -hmm. He's gonna be really good at that. But if you're drafting yeah. number one, you probably want him to be like a guy who can create for other people and get down the hill. I'm not sure he could do those things yet. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Back in February, I wrote uh, like a comparing contrasting piece with Jabari and Paulo because um, <clears throat> it seemed that at that time, uh, those were kind of it, along with Chad. It's kind of been like them through the whole time. Yeah. But I had felt that these two were getting pitted against each other a lot. And there was a big difference when I would watch him on film. And as you said, it's that ability to put pressure on the rim and beat your first man. And even not if you're finishing at the rim, but just get by your primary defender and draw help and then play out of that. Um, Barry just doesn't necessarily do that a lot. Um, Paolo does that much more frequently. And, um, you know, two things I attribute that to the most is Paolo's handle is better than Jabari's. Paolo's stronger than Jabari's. But a lot of times, like, Paolo's, um, I don't call it, his triple threat, and the way he attacks from a standstill is much more purposeful and functional than Jabari. Um, Jabari, I, I feel he kind of just like jabbing, 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 searching for a window and then going for a pull-up. Versus Paulo is jabbing to get you off balance, then rip back the other way. Or start ripping to get downhill and draw multiple defenders. So we're, we're like, yes, Jabari is still going to get... My thing with Jabari is this. Like, Jabari is going to get his... Whether he's, it's whether he's making shots or not, that's what that's what it is. It's his impact on the game. I describe it is not, and I don't want this to entirely count at the defensive side, which I do think he's versatile and aggressive and makes a positive impact there and gives you some versatility on the offensive side. To me, I've felt all year that Jabari's impact on the game is practically a sliding scale based on if the tough shots are going in and they're not. And um, it might seem overly simplistic and unfair, but I've kind of felt that like even when even when Paulo's not making shots, he's still. I still feel his presence on the game. Like he's getting downhill. He's drawing defenders. He's making the right pass. He's like, it feels like the defense is so occupied with him, even if he's not scoring with Jabari. It's sort of, uh, there's just been too many games for me where it kind of feels like the defense is just going to contest. 
get a hand up and wash their hands. If it goes in, what can you do? It's incredible shot making. And if it doesn't, then you did your job and like you'll move on and go play offense. So for me, like I don't I don't want to say he can't ever do that because who knows? Like by all accounts, he's an incredibly hard worker. And I think you kind of kind of see that in his encore demeanor, which I love watching. Um, he's just a really big time competitor, and you can tell even just from watching film. But um, like he definitely has a long ways to go, both from a handling and a physicality standpoint of imposing himself. Um, the way I kind of described it in the piece was that a little too often, like I feel that he gets dictated by his point of attack defender. Like it's not necessarily the spot he wants to go to; it's the spot that he's okay, go- he's content going to because he doesn't care. He's going to shoot it over you anyways <laughs> and make it at a high clip. That's what he does. But um, and but as you said, like that's not necessarily what you want from your primary. Yeah, he may not have to be that. And it's fine. I mean, there's a totally way fine. where yeah, there's a way that he might be the best player in the draft and never be a number and never be the primary. That's kind of it's interesting. Like if if stuff doesn't happen the same way with Paolo or or Chet or even Jaden, that like maybe that just works and I don't know. We'll see. But I find it fascinating. Um so I so can what, real real quick, I can I can give you some stats that I pulled um from Bartorvik. You're, Bartorvik. you're definitely yeah, the the best stat or the best statting service. So I every um I did this in 2020. I found it ridiculously helpful. So I did it for 2022, and it's been my favorite resource on every podcast I've gone on. So um, I, it's linked to my Twitter if you want to find it. But Jabari. So I think I pulled like I went mixed ESPN's board and and uh, Tangathon's board to kind of just pull all the quote unquote like draftable players. Yeah. Um, and Jabari totaled. On the year, this includes transition, just 63 total rim attempts. Um, the guys, that is five less than Jeremy Sohan, um, six less than Caleb Houston, seven less than Keon Ellis and Johnny Juzang, eight less than Hyun Jung Lee. That's not very so, many. Yeah, you as, get the point. As, as someone point. who watched a lot of Caleb, I watched a lot of Caleb Houston. Uh, Caleb, him having more uh, more rim attempts than Jabari Smith is not great, I don't think. So. Yeah. So, um, but so and then as bart classifies as other two pointers which i guess is going to be your mid-range uh, he's very high and uh, of course like we know shot a very good percentage on them that's his game that's what you're getting him for he's a tough shot maker but it just goes to my point like he is 610 and had 63 total rim attempts in about 30 games like that's not very good um that's just those are numbers that just corroborate what we're taught. Me and you are both, I think, in lockstep on with the film. And that's why Jabari is a tough evaluation to me is that like there is a world in which I look super stupid and none of this matters <laughs> because the handle gets slightly better and that's all he needs to get to his spots and rise up. And he's going to become one of the league's best shooters. He's going to kill. He's going to be able to space the floor as a stretch four. He'll attack closeouts. He might never get all the way to the rim, be a three-level score, but it's not going to matter anyways because he's one of the best shot makers in the world. Totally an outcome. And like yep. that's you know that's the thing with the draft is like everyone is going to have an outcome to or the top guys are going to have an outcome to beat you. I think, um, you know, or at least the guys that should belong at the top. Um, and so Jabari has that one skill, and the one skill is. It's insanely good. Um, there's no way around it. I watched the game today where he had seven threes, and it's just like, what do you do with that? But then I've yeah. also seen games where the shot just isn't going in. And what my last point, I'll say on Jabari, um, and this is kind of what I've settled on to make myself feel better and not lose sleep at night when you think about all the jumpers that he reigns in, is that the games in which um, Jabari, will say, like gets clamped or has a tough time and the games where he's absolutely excelling, the shots are the same. They are exactly the same. 
Um, game I always quote on this is the Oklahoma game where he had a tough time and it was just contested jumper after contested jumper. And you hear, and it, I thought it was really interesting in the tournament when they were real when they were down to Miami about like twenty, and you had national announcers who had never really like Grant Hill doesn't watch Jabari Smith like that, like Bill Rafter. They don't watch Jabari, Smith. Um, but they hear this top the top potential top prospect kid. And Jabari is just taking the Jabari shots. Like he's taking those middies. They're contested. They feel a little bit forced. They're early in shot clock, but like, that's what he does. They, you live and die by that. That's he, that's what he's really good at. And that's his game. And they weren't going in that day. And, and you just hear them say, Oh, he's settling. He's settling. He's settling. And I'm just like, that's it's, it's that's, honestly it fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating to hear like someone who hasn't, you know, gone through the discourse and is kind of just dropped into the game, but is like knowledgeable about basketball and can get a gauge for things. I thought it was really interesting, um, like their reaction and how to gauge that. So, yeah, I, I think the Jabari being the first pick as a favorite, like it's never something that I've quite understood. I get why NBA teams love it because he's tall. He makes ridiculously tough shots. The intel seems all great, um, and I don't doubt that. And that's comforting from an NBA executive standpoint. But if we're just talking on-court film stuff and player development and projection, um, I can't quite get there. Yeah, maybe that's uh, – I'm sure a lot of that's Intel stuff too. Like, you know, when the when the Intel-based mocks have them there, like the betting market's going to follow, and that's part of what it is too. And uh, yeah. there is – I will say just to be charitable, and we'll move on. Like there's – just to be charitable to Jabari, uh, Auburn's guard play did him no favors, which miserable. I know you know. Absolutely uh, So that was – that's maybe part of it too. Like maybe there's a little bit of a uh, – you know, maybe he unlocks a little bit more of the stuff that we just didn't see because he just had really bad guard play. I'm not necessarily bad guard play, just very aggressive guard play. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, that that team was. I, I watched a few games this morning because, um, well, one in preparation for this pod, and then Mark and I are talking about uh, we're gonna run through the big so to catch up on Rock, Walker Kessler. And man, yep. um, to just and obviously hindsight bias is 2020. I, I can't imagine watching like that team for the last two to three weeks of the year, two weeks of the year. Like, yeah, they're gonna make a final four run, like they were in all sorts of disarray. Yeah, it didn't um, go well. So, yeah. All right. But that's enough of him. But no, inter- okay. fascinating prospect. Fascinating prospect. He is very interesting. Um, before we get to more like guys in the Hawks range, I have asked this question to everybody that I've had on. So I'm going to ask you, uh, granted that we just talked about your your top four guys. Is there a guy outside of that that you think could be the best or second best player in the draft? Like maybe I'd the like stunned. Like okay, that's kind of what I think too. The, the stock answer is like Shaden Sharp if you believe in it, which I know you've watched him more than most people would have in the world. I will. I've always said this now, and I'm still this way. I've seen him play twice in my life. I am not credible on Shaden Sharp. I don't think most people honestly. 99.8% of people have, should not have an opinion on Shed and Sharp because they haven't seen him play. It's like, <laughs> but I know you have. So that's why I wanted to bring him up. But anyway, um, so basically the answer is no to that question. Like there's not a guy that might crash the party. He's, I mean, he's, I literally put it like, he's not the, he's not the kind of gamble that people think he is, okay. is what I'll say. I mean, like that's, I'm planning that's, um, hopefully I stay on schedule and I can get that one out. But that's <laughs> plan, I'm planning on being like my last piece of the cycle. We'll check it out. Um, it's coming. Yeah. It's, it's, quickly i can give you like the elevator pitch shaden is a ridiculous like in a ridiculous shot maker who we're talking about getting dictated by the defense gets dictated by the defense his he is a wild vertical athlete jump out of the gym type guy put it on your head 40 inch vertical all that and he gets conflated into being a functional athlete which as a ball handler is not necessarily true like the burst isn't necessarily crazy the first step he can get walled off a bit but when he does get there and he does get clear for takeoff, he's going up and he's punching it. And so I think deciphering the athleticism um, 
what you do on measuring charts and functionality of the court um, is always something for draft valuation. And I think uh, he's a very interesting case of deciphering the difference between the two and understanding why lacking functionally um, can ultimately hinder your role in your ceiling. Like he's not a primary bet to me the way Ivy is. Um, and I think they certainly get billed in a similar vein as athletic combos who you're betting on. Uh, one can handle and break down the defense and the other can't. That's not to say Shaden it can't, won't be able to ever develop that guy. He's 19. And then I've, the, the judgment we're making this off of is a 12-game AAU sample from last summer. Like, this is not <laughs> this is ridiculousness. But um, it's, it's what we're being forced to do. So, Shaden, um, not my bet there. That's what this class doesn't necessarily have, I'd say, is those long-shot greater bets who could potentially skyrocket up the redraft boards and make everyone look super silly. Uh, I, I do think there are a lot of guys in this boat well for the Hawks who you can plug and play. Uh, and have them contribute and fill a role and you know preserve your long-term stuff while also getting some short-term returns. I think that's something like the Hawks could a team like the Hawks could benefit from. But uh, for some for teams looking to make a big splash outside the top four, I am hesitant that you'll find it. Yeah, I think my my working theory on why Sharp is just kind of casually discussed as the as that is that he people haven't seen him play and there's like yeah there's no this, no no absolutely there, there's an assumption that. Uh, guy who rocketed to number one in his class 247 but then didn't play for a year and is a wing who's a super athlete you just assume that guy is going to be your bet like that and that's and I I kind of get it as someone who hasn't seen him play a lot but follows this stuff like I know better because I've been told better by people that I trust but if you don't know that and all you know is there's this guy who is a projected top 10 pick who hasn't played at all in college you just be like okay he must be this incredible upside talent which i get yep it makes sense and i do think there is a path this last quick thing on shade we don't necessarily need to talk about him i don't no, think he's particularly interesting to the i don't think he's particularly interesting to the hawks at all honestly um it's okay but i i shade is an upside play it's just not necessarily in the upside that i think a lot of people are penciling in like it's not oh he's gonna create advantages he's gonna get to the rim he's gonna he's a big time shot maker he just needs to come along from a field standpoint it's like no this is a full stop combo who should be working off the ball and using shooting gravity to attack closeouts, run second side actions, and initiate stuff from there. Uh, he's a big-time athlete, but go off the ball, cut, be used as an off-ball shooter. Um, this is not a Jalen – like, the difference – he gets a lot of Jalen Green and Anthony Edwards-type comparisons just because they're these uber-athletic combos. Like, the difference between those two – like, Jalen Green and Anthony Edwards were so infuriating in, in high school and <laughs> AAU because they were 99th percentile athletes that could have got to the – Anthony Edwards could have gotten to the rim whenever he wanted. Literally, all he needed to do was high hands and go. Jalen Green, high hands and go. Dunk whenever you want. Yet both of them were so infatuated and so tantalized by the idea of a pull-up three. Still a little to this day, but I think it worked out in their favor in the end. But in high school – um. Just their ability and sheer like talent and prowess to get to the rim and be a slasher was incredibly evident, and they could do it whenever they wanted. Shaden can't do that. It's not that for those guys, it was that they could, but they didn't want to. And how are you going to get inside that psyche and change it? And how are you going to balance their shot profile? Which I think is still something that, especially like Ann is dealing with, um, Jalen as well, a little bit. But how are you going to get inside that psyche and change their shot diet and change their shot distribution? With, with Shaden, it's not just mentally, like it's physically. He gets walled off. The handle is is has room to grow, we'll say. And the first step isn't as blazing as you would think it would be based on the vertical leap and how he gets talked about as an athlete. So this isn't just this is like a two-stop 
thing versus the the others it was like we know this ability is there actually need to unlock it with Shaden, we need to unlock it and then we need to kind of rewire things that like no a uh, uh, four five six dribbles sidestep three ten seconds into the shot clock isn't what we want that's not a good shot um so i think there's a lot of reworking to the shade and i definitely think there's something there and it's worth it especially in this class but it's definitely going to take the right team with the right infrastructure and especially uh, being patient all right that's it for part one with myself and jake but as a reminder part two is available right now on youtube or apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you listen to this podcast or watching it it should be available right now as this week so do not forget to go over to part two for more of the conversation with myself and jake please subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you next time